Good evening, this is the Labor Exchange, and I'm Dennis Kreese, a member of the Boulder A Labor Council, AFL-CIO. The subject of tonight's program is Theater as a Medium for Labor and Community Activism. With us is a special guest, as before, Dr. James Walsh, History Professor, University of Colorado, Denver, and Romero Theater Troupe. Jim, thank you for being back on KGNU and the Labor Exchange. Great to be here. Jim, let's... uh, do some background. As before, let's reacquaint the KGNU listening audience, especially new and younger members, with who you are. So with that said, how has your career work evolved since arriving in Colorado 20 or more years ago? And could you share some of your academic background as well? Well, that's a lot of ground to cover, but I went to graduate school at CU, um, and um, earned my my doctorate in history at CU Boulder. Um, in the meantime, I when I was working on that, I began teaching here at CU Denver, and I've been here. This is my 18th year. I'm finishing. Um, I specialize in labor history, uh, immigration history, and I also um, teach courses in social movements and community organizing. Um, I'm now teaching in the political science department here at CU Denver, and I teach courses about immigration politics, labor politics, working class politics, as well as social movements as well. Uh, So yeah, and and this is my 18th year. Um, I started the Romero Troop along the way, and I'll talk more about that. Okay, and uh, just one other thing, uh, because I always think it's impressive. Uh, You started out your academic career and got a degree at Duke uh, Duke University, right? And uh, yes, my undergraduate uh, work was at Duke. Jim, let's get into the industrial Rust Belt immigrants, which is both of us. Uh, an old Irish adage saying, "Say so you can take a man out of the bog, but you can't take the bog out of the man." As before, your comments. Huh. Um. Well. We both grew up in the Pittsburgh area. I'm from a big Irish Catholic family in a town called Butler, which is about an hour north of Pittsburgh. It's a steel town. To this day, it's a steel town, about 15,000 people. And um, grew up in that area where, you know, most of the men worked in manual labor, industrial work. And that was deeply ingrained in the culture. It's a very Catholic place as well. Um, so a lot of Eastern European, Southern European immigrants. So there's large Italian Polish communities, um, Slavic communities in those areas, Lithuanians, um, Greeks. <clears throat> um, I was just there last week and um, really enjoy going back and seeing remnants of those of those communities, the churches that they built um, still stand, and you can still see maybe in some re- in some of the family-owned restaurants some of the remnants of those communities. Um, so yeah, and, and 
that's what diversity means in Pittsburgh. It means Polish, Italian, Jewish, Irish, as vast majority of the population have their roots in southern and eastern Europe. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, sounds exactly. You're in Butler County. I'm just right south of you in Beaver County, probably 20 miles away from you, uh, Vanport, Pennsylvania, and right next in uh, Beaver County. Uh, the same same exact thing of everything you're saying. Jim, let's move on to the Rom- the Romero Theater Troupe. What is the Romero Theater Troupe? What moved, inspired you to create and find this troupe back in 2004, which was 11 years ago, and, and who's it named after? Um, the Romero Theater Troupe started, I started it 11 years ago. When I started teaching in higher education, I was very dissatisfied with the ritual of the classroom in higher ed, with the way that people were taught to teach and learn in, in that environment, which generally me- meant lecture, exams, and research papers. And that still hasn't changed much today. <clears throat> um, I felt that that culture and those rituals excluded many, many of my students. They didn't feel comfortable. They didn't feel confident. They just didn't feel engaged. They weren't engaged by that. And I wanted to reach them. Those are the students generally from low-income backgrounds who felt alienated within that culture, the culture of privilege, higher education. So I wanted to engage those students. So I, did, I decided to try theater in my classroom. Having instead of having the students take a standardized test, um, I asked them to create drama skits, and the result really affected me, affected my classrooms, um, changed my relationship with students, the relationship between students and other students, and student-on-student learning blossomed out of that experience, and some some of the potential within the room that wasn't being expressed, some of the gifts within the room that weren't being um, expressed or identified began to show themselves. So I knew that it was something that was important and special, and I I needed to continue doing it. And so I've been using theater in my classrooms now for at least 16 years um, and decided 11 years ago to take that, that model of educating the public, educating through theater, and bring it to the community. Jim? And so, yeah. So, am I correct in, you named it after Archbishop Oscar Romero, who was assassinated in El Salvador. That's right. It's named after Romero, Oscar Romero, Salvadoran bishop, killed in 1980. Um, He's a revered figure, a martyr, and his face, his mug is all over Central America. And the first performance we did was a biography of his life. And so we um, decided to adopt his name because we were very struck with his his approach, his um, passion. Um, and so, yeah, so we named it the Romero Troupe. Um, the, the, the idea is to use the stage as a as a way to educate the public about history and issues that are not generally in the public sphere, the kind of history that's hidden, the kind of history that's, that's not generally taught in our school system, um, to make that accessible and to make it 
part of our of our conversation that we're having um, as a community. So, and so we we perform stories that we believe are important stories about activists and stories about movements that haven't um, that most people don't know about. And so using the stage to put those stories into the public is a beautiful way to do that. And it's particularly for working class audiences where the stage has always been a, a, a means to, of education. Theater is, is a way to educate the public. Well, that's, because, uh, yeah. well that, that's really a good segue because, you know, I can see now that Oscar, Archbishop Oscar Romero, you know, goes without saying, not just with you, but so many others. It inspired <clears throat> them for, you know, social justice through organic theater. But with tonight's subject, you know, maybe a little more detailed how can theater be a medium for labor and community activism and and how have you given witness to members of your audience and your students as as well move on to actual and more activism for various social issues so the reason the theater is that medium is that um there's something about people who who don't have any acting experience or background getting up on stage and telling stories by acting them out, acting out those stories and resurrecting those stories that those stories then become sources of inspiration um, to challenge people to look at their own lives and to possibly make changes, to possibly get involved, to plug into movements, to do small things or large things that they haven't been doing. Um, And our audience again and again and again tells us stories about how our plays have impacted them in that way, inspired them to get involved in, in, in some capacity. So, so the stage, the art of theater is really um, an underestimated tool, especially, you know, for labor history and, and the labor community in general. Its own history has not been um, used in the way that it can be used to rejuvenate the movement. One of the greatest um, tools and weapons that the labor movement has is its own story, story of struggle, of people struggling and scratching and clawing their way to a sense of dignity and respect in their lives and in their work and in their communities. And that those stories um, have a tremendous power, tremendous power. And so by telling them on stage, we feel that. We feel that power. We, we, We do not consider ourselves skilled actors. We just tell stories, Jim, and the stories themselves become the, the lifeline. Jim Romero Theater Troupe, Saturday, November 12, 2015. Quote-unquote, La Historia de America and other sheroes from her story. Could you discuss this play and the women who were highlighted in this production? And after that, um, could you maybe talk about the local story about Islamophobia? Yeah, so um, we just performed this a couple of weeks ago. Um, It's debut, and um, so the title is The Story of America, but it's not American history. It's one of our members is named America, and America is an undocumented immigrant, and her story, we believe, highlights a dimension of American history that's not being told and a perspective that's not being shared. So her story is extremely powerful. And so we decided to name the play after her story. Most people, 
and then and then all the so what we did is we we put our word into the community electronically that we were inviting stories people to share stories that they would like told on stage that they ha- haven't been told and we received many many stories and almost all of them were about women so that we believed that that was to us that meant something important that stories from women's lives um are generally excluded from public history. So we decided to make the play an opportunity for as many of those stories as we could tell in an evening to be told. And so there was America's story about coming to this country and fighting her way um, to survival. She lived on the streets for a while, and then she became an activist and got involved with El Centro Humanitario. There's a story of a struggle for land rights in the San Luis Valley, which is in southern Colorado, and a struggle that that community waged um, to regain their communal land rights that were um, taken when, after the Mexican-American War when the U.S. militarily seized the Southwest. Well, many of the Latino families in those communities lost their land rights. And in southern Colorado, they've been waging a 30-year or maybe even longer, 40- or 50-year campaign to regain some of those rights. And we told a story of a woman who had polio, who was the first to sign on to that lawsuit. So those are a couple of examples of the stories that we're we're telling. There's a story of a woman who's in the troop who was in Katrina in the Superdome during Katrina and became separated from her mother. They were directed to different buses and they were sent to different places. And she didn't see her mother for five years. And it's a story about how she survived. So by highlighting those stories, we are um, empowering, I think, other women and other people in general to look at their own stories. What about the Islam? What about the one about oh, Islamophobia? Yeah, Islamophobia. So um, we were approached by a young woman who who asked to remain, remain anonymous, and the story is that she um, and some friends of hers to celebrate a birthday. Um, they're, they're immigrants from a Middle Eastern country, and they went to a local movie theater, a large corporate chain theater, to see a film, and we're, we're, we're wearing uh, hijab headscarves. And the attendant would not sell them tickets because of what they were wearing. They were, they were turned away. They were not allowed into the theater. And most of us had no idea that that sort of thing is happening today. And so um, that's, uh, that's a powerful story because people don't think of that in the 21st century in the United States of America. <laughs> Jim, let's, think, so, yeah. that's, a great, that's great. I'm glad you shared that. But I want to move along because you've got a lot of stuff going on here, and I, I have a lot of stuff here. Is it? But two days later, Monday, November 16, 2015, there was something called Digital Storytelling and Organic Theater. Pedagogies in 21st Century Learning. Could you discuss this art-based creative work event that was held at El Centro Humanitario at 2260 California Street in Denver? And just take it from there. Yeah, so um, my students in my immigration politics class, they perform the skits that they prepared for the class. They perform them for a public audience. And it was an opportunity for um, the students to have a dialogue with people in the community about the experience they had in putting together the plays and in performing them. 
and what they meant to them. And so we, the discussion was about theater, organic theater as a teaching tool and how other educators, there were a lot of edu- other educators there that night and we were challenging them to think about how they might be able to use the arts in a way that they're not currently doing in their own classrooms. So yeah, it's just a way to bring not only the Romero troop into the community, but to bring the idea of using theater as a teaching tool into the educator community. And we're talking about student outcomes. And with that said, how would better student outcomes increase future awareness for workers and their families in the context of trade union membership? Well, um, I think that first-generation students, which make up a a huge percentage of our students in higher education, say students who are the first generation in their families to go to college, their parents might have been um, factory workers, miners, janitors, um, et cetera, and they've made the jump to college, to higher ed. Um, Many of those students have never had the opportunity to learn labor history and to learn about some of the struggles that are happening currently in the labor movement. And when they do and relate it to their own lives and their own family and ancestry, it's an incredibly empowering thing to see happen to a young person. And so I think that's the key is helping those students see that their roots, their blue-collar roots, aren't something to be ashamed of or to hide, but their blue-collar roots are something to be trumpeted and something to be embraced and celebrated. Absolutely, and And, that's where I'm from, and that's where I've always been, and that's where you're from, too. But, Jim, let's, you know, you already spoke about this, and this is kind of like, you know, I am a son of an immigrant. My mother's from County Galway, Ireland. Uh, Nora Mm -hmm. King was her maiden name, but... With immigration politics, you teach this timely and extremely relevant class. What what goals are you trying to achieve with your students? And why is this critical for all immigrant workers and all unions as well? Well, immigrant politics is, in many ways, is, is a course in labor politics because the two, immigration and labor, are inseparable, as you know. Um, but one of the things that it's, it's really helpful, I think, about the course and the way I teach it to many students is, is that the labor movement and the immigrant rights movement begin to see each other as the natural allies that they are instead of, at, you know, as at odds or with, with um, differing competing agendas. Um, there's a history of the labor movement not being entirely welcoming to immigrants. And that's changing today. That's changing today, fortunately. The the labor movement today sees the immigrant community as fellow workers, as as people to to stand arm-in-arm with, and that's encouraging. And so this class is really about how those histories speak to each other and what's happening today and how these communities can can stand together and, and really work toward the same common goals. All right, then, Jim, something you wanted to talk about tonight, we talked about last year, and I want to talk about it, too. Jeffco's Students and Teachers, AP, Advanced Placement History. So with that said, Jim, on Tuesday, November 3rd, 2015, voters recalled three conservative Tea Party members who compromised the standards of the AP 
history uh, curriculum, although they did fail in doing that. But in the, all along the line, they degraded the teachers and their union. So how would you evaluate this collective effort by students, teachers, and the community to achieve a positive outcome? Uh, might that be a good example of a community partnership? Absolutely. And I, I would add, too, that the movement was across the political divide as well. A lot of Republicans were involved in this movement. Uh, this was not a Democratic versus Republican issue. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it was empowering to see students standing up for their education. It was encouraging to see um, teachers speaking out, um, you know, on behalf of their students and behalf of of uh, against some of the draconian proposals being put forth in terms of censoring history. The Jeffco School Board had a proposal that AP history would only focus on positive aspects of American history and ignore anything that was about civil disobedience or, um, you know, any, any kind of critical thinking that is so necessary to really understanding history and understanding the present. And the pushback on that was, was incredible. And so it, uh, and eventually culminating in this recall effort, which was a coalition of many, many different communities. And it was, a, I think, two to one, the vote was overwhelming. And I think what's going to happen is that that vote and that recall is already sort of reverberating in other parts of the country where local communities are feeling like their school boards are being hijacked by lots of outside money with different with different agendas. And so we also saw some encouraging um, votes in Douglas County, and these are some of the more conservative areas of Denver. Yeah, that went from 7-0 conservative, and three uh, new members got elected. Uh, I think one was a Republican, two were inten- independent. So now that the majority is only 4-3. to three. So there's still some progress to be made there. Jim, we have about five minutes left, and I have a couple of questions I want to go over, and you don't have to spend a lot of time with this one because you've already talked about it, but you're always being really humble, you know, about your Romero Theater Troupe, and, you know, you've gotten some, you know, a documentary made about you and everything, but it is organic theater. So with that, could you discuss some more, uh, this beautiful, sometimes messy method of theater who are the participants? I know there are some students, but what is your ongoing mission in the context of history and social justice? And just one more question there, Jimmy. Um, who do you want to attract for any and, and all of your productions? Wow, that's a lot to cover. Um, so I'll start with organic theater. Um, organic theater means that we don't have a director. It means that we're creating art collectively. Um, we're all volunteer. There's no staff. There's no, no, one, no one's paid. So we simply gather, whoever can make it, and we, we start with a story we know we want to tell, and we brainstorm how best to tell it in eight or ten minutes. Um, that could mean a loose script to start with, but it usually just means starting out with... Um, creating a stage of a, a, a presence, people on stage playing different roles and making it up on the spot and then talking about it and then trying it again and then talking about it and trying it again. And slowly but surely, the group steers the scene in the direction they want to see it go. And in that way, everyone has their hand on the wheel 
it's a messy process because when you're talking about 20 people, 25 people giving input to one story and, and how it ought to look, um, it's not an easy process. It's kind of a messy process. But in the end, it's a process that means that the entire community owns that story, and it's not just one person's vision. So when we bring it to stage, it has a different feel and flavor and quality to it than any other kind of theater. Uh, it's just something you have to experience. Our audience, they, they really participate in the shows because they sense that what they're seeing isn't tightly scripted and controlled, that it's some sort of communal experience that they're a part of. Who we try to attract is my feeling are people who don't who aren't part of the theater going community in general folks who either are priced out of professional theater or just don't have any interest in seeing the the usual um plays that are done over and over and over again by the same playwrights they know they're going to see fresh material in it they know they're going to see stories from below stories not about famous people and they know they're going to see something that's not smooth or polished, but something anything could happen during the scene. And so our, our audience really appreciates that and what we try to do. They also know they're going to see something created by a group of people who aren't doing it for money or pay. And so um, many of our, much of our audience is work from the working class. We, there was a poll done at a play for the documentary of our audience. And the pollster discovered that did some demographic work about our audience. That um, I think it was seventy percent of our audience has an income of below forty thousand dollars a year. So I think that says it all in terms of who we're attracting to the to the theater that generally have have been excluded. Jim, we got one. We got about two minutes left, and you know um, this question could take a whole show, but you know. Maybe you can just be efficient. We can revisit it again at some other time. And that is labor history curriculum, public schools. The Romero Theater Troupe is a teaching method for your students and the community as well. As a professor of history and political science, what kind of ideas do you have in establishing a labor history curriculum in the public school system? Hmm. Wow, that's a big question. Um, I would have a lot of interest in doing that, um, but I would do it in a way that steered away from traditional pedagogy, such as exams, standardized tests, and lectures. If I created a labor curriculum, it would be incredibly student-centered and, and involving student-on-student -student teaching and learning, where students were using the arts um, to become activated. It would also be very community-centered, where students were in the, out of the classroom and in the community, learning from people and workers um, everywhere who are participating in important struggles. But I've never really given that a lot of thought, but I think it's, it's important because generally that's not a course you see in most schools. And I'll uh, give you some input on that if uh, you ever want, as one who has a teaching degree and a teacher by trade, but also... 38-year union member, fourth-generation union member. So we can have another conversation about that. Jim, we have about 30 seconds. So with that, uh, do you have any final thoughts or comments for the KGNU listening audience? Um, yeah, for all those educators out there, don't be afraid to be a little radical in your pedagogy. That, that's my last thought. <laughs> all right, then. 
For those of you who've joined us late, this has been a Labor Exchange. I'm Dennis Creese, a member of the Boulder Area Labor Council AFL-CIO, and the subject of tonight's program was uh, theater as a medium for labor and community activism. And with us was a very special guest, Dr. James Walsh, history professor, University of Colorado, Denver, and the Romero Theater Troupe. Jim, thank you for being on Labor Exchange at KGNU. And anybody has any comments about this show or any other show on KGNU, please call 303-447-9911. And next week, Monday, December 7, 2015, please listen to La Lucha Sigue at 6 p.m. This has been Labor Exchange, and I am Dennis Kreese for KGNU Boulder, KGNU Denver, and KGNU.org. <laughs> 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 <laughs>